This is Jacob Sherhart welcoming you to a special episode of Painting the Glass podcast. It was one year ago today, February 9th, 2022, that Grandpa T published the first episode of his podcast. That was 61 episodes ago. In the time, he has covered a variety of topics of interest to curlers, coaches, instructors, and curling fans. As my brother Lucas and I mentioned in a previous episode, he has invited many friends to join with him for many of the episodes, each with a unique blend of expertise, experience, and knowledge. Once again, he wants to thank all those friends for sharing what they have learned with you. The loyal listeners to a Pain in the Glass podcast. Today's episode is based upon the first article that Grandpa T wrote for his new National Training Center website when he was the National Development Coach in Calgary for the Canadian Curling Association, now Curling Canada. The collection of articles that grew out of that first one led to his coaching manual, A Pain in the Glass, A Coach's Companion, and now his blog site at brunorthville.blogspot.com, and ultimately to his podcast. Grandpa T felt it only fitting then that the first episode of the new season be straight, simple, and silent. The genesis of this episode was a golf tournament. And not just any golf tournament, but the Canadian Open at the Royal Montreal in 2001. My grandpa T was in Montreal area on the basis of an from his friends at Curling Quebec to participate in a high-performance camp. Someone got tickets to the opening round of the golf tournament and suggested that he arrived one day early to use the tickets to take in the round. Watching a golf tournament is the best spectator sport, in his opinion. You can choose your seat and remain there as long as you wish. You can follow a group or watch them all pass by your location. Grandpa T chose to not be among the thousands who followed one Eldrick Tiger Woods around the fabled grounds of Royal Montreal, but rather parked himself beside a tee box and watched the best golfers in the world as they hit the golf ball. Grandpa T wanted to take note of both the differences in their respective golf swings But more importantly, what they all did that was the same. His conclusion was that for a two-foot span of the golf swing, one foot before the club met the ball and one foot following, virtually every golfer looked the same. What happened leading up to the two-foot span and after it was frequently different. On the way back to the hotel, he started to think about a curling delivery in the same manner. From a technical point of view, it was obvious to Grandpa T that virtually all the best players of our game have three aspects of delivery, which are identical. Music has its three tenors, comedy has its three stooges, literature the three musketeers, and now curling has its three S's. Straight, simple, and silent. Anytime I get to work with an elite athlete in our sport, one aspect of their delivery that, well, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but I always notice first 
is their ability to slide in a straight line. Not just any straight line, but an absolutely perfect straight line. There is not a hint of a drift in their slide. How do they do that? Well, the key is the position and the movement of the sliding foot. And that's true of any time a curler asks me to have a look at his or her delivery. I want to see the position and the movement of the sliding foot. I mentioned in an earlier episode the position and the movement of the sliding foot of Tracy Flurry. Tracy starts with her sliding foot in the park position, so it isn't always the same with everyone. In the stance or hack position, balance, and of course that's the real key to sliding straight, is achieved by placing one foot under one shoulder and the other foot under the other shoulder. And in that hack position, the weight distribution is about 60-40, with approximately 60% of the weight on the hack foot and 40%, maybe even a little bit less than that, on the sliding foot. The hack foot, yes, that's the one that's actually in the hack, will have the toe on the bottom of the hack and the ball on the slope portion, although some of my colleagues like to have curlers with their entire foot on the sloped portion so there's no slip. The sliding foot, it's of course the slippery one, is flat on the ice with, now follow this, the heel of the sliding foot opposite the toe of the hack foot. Why? Well, of course, it's the aforementioned balance. But the key to all of this is what coaches who have taken courses from me know as the silly little space. That space to which I'm referring is the, literally the distance between the inside of the sliding foot and the inside of the hack foot. So that silly little space, again, is the space between the sliding foot and the hack foot. While in the hack position, it should be about the same as the width of a brush handle. But most curlers don't do that. Most curlers have the sliding foot on the ice overlapping or directly in front of the hack foot. If your sliding foot is in front of the hack foot, you will have to move it around the hack foot in a pattern that we call a C-curve. Now think about this. You want to slide forward in a straight line, and the only thing that connects you with the ice moves in a curved path. Huh. Bottom line, move the sliding foot as you will, but move it straight. How much the sliding foot moves determines the velocity of the slide. And you may want to go to one of the earlier episodes in a Pain in the Glass podcast to an episode entitled, You Have the Power. As the stone moves forward, the sliding foot moves behind the stone. And this is a part of the entire delivery of the curling stone that causes so many problems for novices or recreational curlers. It's the right thing to move the sliding foot and get it in behind the stone, but you do so gradually, and so often the adverb gradually is left out. It, it's to the point now where in a clinic scenario, I, I don't say anything about how fast it should get there, because if I don't say how fast it should get there, the body will do it naturally. And the body's natural instinct is to move the sliding foot in behind the stone gradually. 
But if you do make mention of getting the sliding foot behind the stone at all, so often what the athlete, that novice or recreational curler, they will insert the words as quickly as possible. But I never said as quickly as possible. Better not to say anything, just that that's where the sliding foot has to end up. By saying nothing, you leave the body's natural instinct to do it correctly, and the body will indeed do it correctly. And that's another very interesting point. Some players don't have their sliding foot directly behind the stone, and for a very good reason. It has to do with eye dominance. And there's an episode which is all about eye dominance, if you want to have a look at that, or listen to it, I should say. If you are right-handed and right-eye dominant, it is unlikely that you will want to have the stone on the midline of your body. If you did, you would not be seeing the target with your dominant eye, which is your right eye in this instance. You probably will shoot off your right shoulder. There was a time when, as an instructor, I might try to correct this fault, but I know much better now. Before we leave this topic, let's discuss line of delivery. The athletes with whom I work all slide straight. You must do that if you have any hopes of playing this game at an elite level. A certified instructor can teach anyone to do that. It's strictly mechanics. But what's the sense of sliding straight if you slide straight offline most of the time? There's another ingredient which you must do, and every time you execute the shot, you need to do this. You must establish the line of delivery. I enjoy asking players what body part they use to line up in the hack, and I get quite a variety of responses from hack foot to hack knee to hack thigh to shoulders, well, lots of other body parts. I rarely get the best answer, and it's hips. You see, the lower extremities can move around without the whole body actually changing position. Shoulders can't turn much without affecting the entire body. But move your hips and you move everything. Hips are the most reliable body part for alignment. As a result, I encourage curlers to stand slightly behind the hack. Set the hips square to the intended line of delivery. Get into the hack, then use some of the secondary body parts, such as those that I mentioned before. Once you are lined up, forget that aspect of the delivery. If you can slide straight, it's over. Concentrate on the correct weight for the shot. I use a center red line ribbon to demonstrate the various lines of delivery to a new curler. I place one end at the hack and roll out the ribbon to various places in the house at the other end of the sheet. Now, as a player, I can't help but visualize my red ribbon as I line up behind the hack and reach forward with my hack foot on the line with my red ribbon. Pay attention to this seemingly useless bit of trivia as it is foreshadowing. By doing this, you have established your line of delivery. Where is the sliding foot during the slide? Well, it should be directly below the base of the sternum, that long, narrow, collagenous portion of one's anatomy in the breast area which connects most of the pairs of ribs. That's the balance point for most people. At this point, the weight of your body should be evenly distributed on your slider. And I want to repeat that last sentence. At this point, you should feel that the weight of your body is evenly distributed on your slider. 
That's so important for two reasons, and I've mentioned it before. If you slide so that the weight of your body is evenly distributed on your slider, two things happen, and they're both very positive. Number one, it's virtually impossible to drift. But the second one is even better. You reduce the rate of deceleration. Let me repeat that. You reduce the rate of deceleration. And that's going to be a major factor in controlling the velocity of your body and therefore the velocity of the rock. But more about that another time. So that's the straight portion of the three S's. Now let's move on to simple. Simple refers to all the movements in the course of the delivery. Extraneous movements can only detract from the purpose of the delivery, which is to propel the stone with the proper velocity on the desired line. Only by examining one's delivery in some recorded medium can you determine if all the movements are required. And now, of course, we have all sorts of media to do that, tablets, smartphones, etc., you don't need an instructor for this. Just ask yourself why each time you see a body part move. If you can't come up with a reason for it, then you might get some help. In most cases, you'll simply change or remove the movement. One activity that I encourage curlers to do is to take a sheet of paper and then write down on one side of the sheet, put a line down the center of the sheet, and on one side, list all the movements in your delivery, in the most minute detail. And of course, you may want to refer to a recorded version of your delivery so that you don't leave anything out. And then on the other side of the piece of paper, beside each of the movements in your delivery, put the reason why you do it. And if there's some gaps in the reasons why, hmm, you may want to think about it some more, but more importantly than that, you need to seek out a certified instructor. Extraneous movement is a dead giveaway that a curler either does not practice or does not have access to a delivery clinician. Keep it simple. All the best curlers do, and you should as well. In the last few years, it has become obvious to me that curling deliveries of our most elite athletes are becoming less and less complicated. And with all due respect to recreational curlers, they as a group rarely practice. They rarely attend curling clinics and as a result, rarely even think about making changes to their deliveries. And when you see them play, they have the most complicated deliveries imaginable. On the other hand, our elite athletes attend high-performance camps and get the best instruction that they can find. They practice purposefully. They think about and understand their curling delivery. As a result, their curling deliveries are clearly in the simple category. Now, the last of the S's, silence. And it's probably the most important. It refers to the release. If you have a million-dollar delivery and a two-cent release, you, my friend, have a two-cent delivery. It may seem strange that I would describe the release by volume, well, I really don't mean silence, as in the absence of sound, but rather it is so smooth, it appears silent. We have all seen curlers whose releases look like an explosion, with the hand literally flying off the handle, a noisy, inconsistent release to be sure. 
A great release, of course, begins with the grip. The second finger pads are on the bottom of the handle, and they're together. And here's the key ingredient. The side of the thumb is on the side of the handle. We used to say wrist high. That's not the case any longer. It's much more ergonomic to have the wrist a little bit on a lower position. I really like the releases that you see with our most elite curlers. So if you're watching on television, watch the position of the wrist with those elite curlers. When the wrist is a little bit lower, it promotes a smooth, silent delivery. In the hack with this grip, the handle is set at either 10 o'clock for a clockwise rotation or 2 o'clock for a counterclockwise rotation. As you slide forward toward the release point, rotate the stone. With a positive rotation from the initial position, 2 or 10 o'clock, through just before you get to 12 o'clock. Open your hand. It will now be in the handshake position. Leave it there until the stone comes into your field of vision. If all the members of the team use this grip and release, the look is the same for all players on the team. Life then becomes much simpler for your skip. The whole team benefits. And when I say that the look is the same for all members of the team, I'm referring to rocks tracking the same. There's a certain movement in our sport right now for all of the members of the team to grip the rock, position the rock, and, and basically make four deliveries look very similar. There's a, an episode in a Pain of the Glass podcast that deals with this, and it's called a team technical checkup with grip just being one part of it. By the way, when was the last time you checked the distance from the start of your rotation until the actual release? It should not exceed the length of a brush handle. Have someone stand along the sideline and drop one glove at the onset of the rotation and the other at the release point. The owner of the gloves should be able to pick them up without moving. Another thing. As a team, does everyone release the stone at basically the same place? Well, take four cups and place the numerals, one through four, on the bottom of each. Place them at the release point along the sideboard. Lead is number one, second is number two, third or mate is number three, skip is number four. Be sure to check a variety of weights when you do this. If you discover that release points are all over the map, you might want to make some changes because after all, this is a team sport. Let your delivery always come to its natural conclusion, all the while posing with that release hand. And when you do come to a stop, check to see if you're still on that red ribbon to which I referred earlier. You should be if you slid straight. I see an awful lot of curlers, as soon as the rock is released in their hand, they collapse out of the delivery. And they may look me in the eye and say, well, Bill, why, why would I continue sliding? I mean, the rock's gone. What's all this about posing? Well, the difference is, is between practice or training and when you're actually playing in a game. You might in practice when everything's calm and there's, there's no pressure, you're not in competition. I can collapse out of my delivery because the stone is on its way. Yeah, but when in competition, everything gets shorter. All the times just tighten up, get a little bit shorter. 
And maybe when you're playing that most critical shot, that killer shot in the killer end, maybe the stone hasn't quite left your hand and you're already collapsing under the delivery. No, no. Bulletproof your delivery in practice. Slide through. Let your slide come to its natural rest. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Here's a coaching hint. Try to impress upon your athletes that if they are to improve a curling delivery, they first have to understand it. Ask your athletes to describe their delivery in detail. I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the episode. You will be amazed at how many struggle to do this. It's the in-detail part is the key. Once you understand the biomechanics of the delivery, it is easier to examine one's own and then make the changes. Well, as the boys introduced this episode, that's the three S's. It was the very first article that I wrote when I was at the National Training Center, and we started our website. There were a lot of articles after that, and as Jacob and Lucas mentioned, it's what led to my coaching manual, A Pain in the Glass, A Coach's Companion, and I've mentioned this before, if you're interested in purchasing a copy, all the proceeds go to the, the Sandra Schmirler Foundation, and you can do that through the Balance Plus website. And of course, there's lots of articles on my blog site, truenorthbill.blogspot.com. So, here we go for season number two. As I indicated to you at the end of the last episode, we were doing something a little bit special this week. And I always hope you enjoy hearing hearing the boys, Jacob and Lucas, my grandsons. So thank you very much for listening today. Many of you, I know, are loyal listeners to the episodes and the podcast. I, I appreciate this. I enjoy doing it. And I hope you find it fun, interesting, entertaining, and, of course, useful to you. So until next time, good curling wherever you are. And again, a thank you to my sponsor, Canada Curling Stone in Kamoka, Ontario. Stay safe wherever you are. And of course, think only those happy thoughts.